Welcome to Unfuck Your Head. I am your host, Kat Jordan. It's time to take action, get out of bed, smell the new day, and unfuck your head. All right, guys, I am here with Katie Bandy. She is a licensed clinical social worker with over 12 years of experience working in the mental health field, particularly in public service. She also has an online private practice, The Mindful Therapist. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it was great. I stumbled upon your um, Instagram and I was immediately taken and captivated by your content. I felt like what you were promoting and what you were sharing was very similar to um, what my hope is in destigmatizing mental health and and it just sounded like we would get along and so I reached out and was like hey you want to be on my podcast and I'm grateful that you jumped at the opportunity so thanks again totally. for coming on. Yeah I'm so glad you reached out I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. So mm-hmm. as I share with everyone I really want this episode to be as organic and as natural as you feel comfortable. Where would you like to start? Well, I think you mentioned my private practice, The Mindful Therapist, which I just launched this last year. And what I really wanted to talk about today was some of what's behind that and what inspired me to go into the mental health field. And really kind of trauma overall is the topic that I wanted to talk about today. Um, And the way that trauma is a lot broader than we think it is. Absolutely. Um, You know, we hear the term trauma and we kind of think the big ticket items of, you know, abuses, assaults, um, which significantly are trauma. But there's also these softer traumas, things like divorce, threats to our well-being, um, chronic stressors, neglect. And over the last year of 2020, I think we've really been experiencing a lot of collective trauma with the things that we've gone through. Um, so, but I wanted to first take it back to what got me into the mental health field, which relates to my mom mm-hmm. and my mom actually passed away this year Sorry. as part of the 2020, you know, trauma stuff that I'll get into in a little bit, but I wanted to share about my own anxiety experience this year as well. Then I want to share like where I think as a society we need to go, especially right now with what's going on in the bigger world. I really appreciate that and I appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable. I also want to highlight too this idea that there has been a collective trauma. In social media and in my practice I've heard people conceptualize that what we are experiencing truly is traumatic and it is collective, right? Like we are yeah. all experiencing it in the in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. So not just collective trauma, but chronic trauma that we're experiencing. And 
I think what that has really highlighted for a lot of people is that that previously there was a misunderstanding of what trauma is. And to your Mm -hmm. point, there's a wide range of traumatic experiences. We call them, in my practice, I call them like little T's, medium T's, and then big T's. Yep. Um, And that's really important to distinguish because a lot of people are experiencing trauma symptoms and mm-hmm. not realizing that that's actually what they're experiencing. So exactly. I'm so glad that you're bringing this to the to the surface. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, I love that your mission is about destigmatizing mental health. And in terms of my mom, she experienced some pretty significant mental illness throughout her life. And you know, if you go back to the '50s and '60s, talk about stigma. Uh, we're doing better now, but when we go back in history, it was even worse in terms of you know when someone struggled with mental health issues. And so, you know, my mom growing up, she experienced a lot of trauma, complex trauma, you know, big T's, little T's, medium T's. And she also struggled with schizoaffective disorders. So she, you know, had some psychosis symptoms. And there was a period of time when she was married to my dad that she was pretty stable. But as a kid, you know, growing up with a mom who's struggling with mental health issues, it's impactful. Absolutely. And, um, They ended up divorcing. I was around seven or eight years old. And divorce is another thing I think I mentioned earlier that we don't often think of as trauma. But for kids, you know, they're only seven years into life. And when their two primary caregivers decide to split, there's your stability. What's going to happen next? What's happening in the future? So, you know, trauma really is anything that is a threat to our safety, our stability, or security, or the people around us, our loved ones. Observing others going through their trauma is impactful to us as humans as well, right? With my mom, you know, experiencing mental illness, she had a lot of substance abuse, which is so common, right? Where there's some like self-medication happening. There were periods of time um, where she was homeless. She was in and out of psychiatric hospitals more times than I can count. So when we see our loved ones struggling to have homes, struggling, you know, to get their basic needs met, all of that we get this vicarious traumatization where we're traumatized by seeing people we care about be traumatized. Yeah. And I think that's another important thing for us to recognize as a society, you know, this year when we look around us, pretty much everyone is suffering in some way. And so there's this like massive ripple effect of vicarious trauma that's also happening uh, when we watch the news and we're seeing just thing after thing after thing go down, that's just more and more vicarious trauma that's like rippling out into society, right? Yeah. And I can see why we are struggling so much because we are, by experiencing the pandemic individually, we're experiencing that trauma. And then mm-hmm. we're in addition to that, we're also experiencing the vicarious trauma and not just in our immediate family, But in our communities and then our society as a whole, like if you think of that, that it makes a lot of sense that we are all feeling overwhelmed and absolutely exhausted with having to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, kind of fast forwarding to this year, 
obviously COVID hit and in around April or May, my idea for this online practice, the mindful therapist came up because of all of this. Mm. I thought about it for quite a while, but, um, you know, this year it really came to the surface. I wanted to really maximize spreading awareness about this stuff and, um, you know, teaching people how to cope with trauma and how to cope with anxiety. So I started building my business in April or May, kind of formulating it, putting it together. And then in June, of course, the racial tensions were happening in the news. Um, That was a huge thing. July, my mom passed away. That was a huge thing. Um, I live in California. So in pretty much July through September, we had major wildfires here. Right. And so where I live in the Bay Area, there was a period of almost two months where every day the skies were red. You know, you see the flames literally coming down the hillsides. Um, Friends and family are evacuated. There's shelters (laughs) put up for people, you know and people's homes are being burned, loved ones. And so there's another layer of trauma. So I think this year has just been like one piled, piled, piled onto the other. And the whole time I'm like trying to start this online business. (laughs) Um, So I'm certified in dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. Mm -hmm. And this year in September, I was taking my certification exam for it. So my anxiety had already been building. I, you know, was dealing with complex grief related to my mom. And I started having panic attacks. I started having really high anxiety symptoms, which, you know, when you look at all these things piled up, of course, duh. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Um, And so kind of the culminating moment, I had this DBT certification exam I had to go into And of course, it's COVID protocols. So you're walking into the building and everything is, you know, you're getting your fingerprints taken for the test. Um, We're also on evacuation warning for the wildfires and the skies are red outside the window. So it's just this super apocalyptic scene walking into the testing center, wondering if we're going to be evacuated on pandemic protocol. And as I sat down for the test, a panic attack started to hit me. And um, I turned around. I almost immediately was going to flag the person to say, I need a break. And I had just started. But thankfully, because I have learned the DBT tools and, you know, coping strategies through my profession, I knew what was happening. I was able to use those things that I had learned and that I'm teaching to other people all the time. And I was able to just pause and take a moment and take some deep breaths and, you know, kind of regulate my nervous system because, you know, I think it's really important for us all to have a clear understanding of what happens when anxiety hits or, you know, a trauma response. It's our nervous system activating. Right. Right. And it's our nervous system trying to protect us. And so we get flooded with adrenaline and cortisol. Our heart starts racing. Our breathing gets rapid. 
critical thinking goes down, we can't sleep. <laughs> um, we become hypervigilant where we're just looking for the next trauma, the next disaster to hit. Our immune system goes down, digestive problems, right? So I mention all of these things because as we're discussing a collective trauma response, these are things that probably everybody is experiencing to some extent or right. another right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When you put it all into perspective like that, I feel overwhelmed, right? It's like <laughs> a reminder of what our bodies are actually doing when we are experiencing these things. And, right. and yeah, that's tremendously overwhelming. And how do we then with that knowledge, right, mm -hmm. translate that into action. And I think a lot of yes. my clients and a lot of listeners really struggle with that. You can read a book, you can go to therapy, you can mm -hmm. become aware, but then how, do, how are you able to make that bridge into action? So I'm really curious to hear yes. like, what happened. What did you do yeah. in that moment when you were sitting down for the exam and, and you started yeah. to feel a panic attack come on? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, with, with DBT, DBT is a very skill-based form of therapy right. and it has a set of crisis survival skills. And so these skills are for when your nervous system is really, really activated and they can help you start to regulate that nervous system and settle it back down to baseline. And for me, I went for, you know, one of the main things you hear, which is breathing, mm -hmm. paced breathing. And sometimes we kind of roll our eyes like, yeah, yeah, take a deep breath, whatever. <laughs> but it really, it's science, like it works. Taking a slow paced inhale and then an even longer, slower paced exhale. Um, and I paused for probably four minutes in that test. I didn't do a thing. I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep reading the questions or focusing in that moment. And so I just stared at one point on the desk and I just took those slow paced breaths until finally I felt my nervous system start to settle. And all along that time, I'm also monitoring my thoughts and looking out for catastrophizing thoughts. Like, I'm not going to make it through this. I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to fail. Right. All <laughs> you of know, which I, is going to worsen the, the panic, right? Exactly, right. Um, and so rather than that, sort of encouraging myself and saying, you can do this, you can settle. This is just anxiety right now. This is panic. And um, you've got this sort of encouraging myself, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it helped and I was able to sort of settle and refocus and finish the exam. Passed, thankfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think that it it is one of those things where had I not known right. what panic was, had I not known what anxiety is, had I never learned these tools, let alone rehearsed them in practice and taught them over and over and over, I probably wouldn't have been able to access those tools in that moment, right? Yeah. Because just knowing about something is one thing, like you said, but then being able to put it into practice, and we do have to practice these things and rehearse, rehearse, rehearse them for them to be able to then be helpful in a moment like that. I think society does a really good job of telling us we're weak if we can't 
manage this stuff or, you know, we're not trying hard enough. <laughs> and it's not that simple. To your point about like society and, and that those expectations and how that works with the stigma of mental health mm-hmm. is the idea that we need to ignore and push through. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure where that came from. I'm certain it had to do with, you know, whatever other survival mechanisms had to happen in previous mm-hmm. generations where that served mm-hmm. them. But I think in our, our modern time, that is not serving us. No. The, the idea that we just push through is actually creating more and more totally. struggle. And I think for me, the the bridge is, this isn't a mental thing that you have to will yourself into ignoring or numbing out or pretending right. it's not there. This is a physical, biological, chemical, yep. science-based reaction and response yep. that your body is is doing as a result of your environment. And yep. and so there's no way that you could like just will yourself out of it. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So DBT talks a lot about the invalidating environment. Right. And you know, how our upbringing and our culture and our environment impacts us. And so Western culture in particular, we're very individualistic, right? And so do it on your own, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, push through. It's just kind of built into the fabric of our our culture. But what that ends up doing is being really invalidating to the human experience you know, which is that we are thinking, feeling creatures. (laughs) We can't do things alone. We're also a tribal species. So, you know, we have to tend to things like anxiety when they show up, turn towards them, validate them in order to soothe and address it so so that then we can start to move through it. Exactly. And I like the, the statement that you made about like going towards it. You know, Mm -hmm. that to me has been a really useful mental tool for me as well as my work with my clients is this idea that if we allow there to be a little bit more space away from resistance and pushing Mm -hmm. against it and a little, just a shift into maybe just being curious, maybe just being open to leaning towards it. Mm-hmm. That act in of itself, just that, alleviates so much pressure right. that the anxiety tends to, to decrease just because you did that first. Yes, and I think yeah. that can really help people feel like, oh, I have I have agency over this. I can have yes. an, an ability to really work in such a way that I, quote, have control. I can manage this yes. kind of anxiety and I don't have to just pretend it's not there. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of ties into another big aspect of DBT, which is acceptance Mm -hmm. and learning to practice acceptance of things, even uncomfortable emotions, even painful experiences. And we tend to resist acceptance because we think if we accept something, we're giving up or we're giving in Mm -hmm. um, and we're not going to work to change that thing. But This is where two opposite things can be true at the same time. We can accept something. We can accept discomfort in the moment. And then that acceptance is actually a pathway to change. We can continue to work on changing that discomfort. So it's not only acceptance or only change. It can be both at the same time. I love that. So, you know, 
during this whole time, I was wanting to get this online business started. And one of the things I've really wanted to do is create self-study courses for people that teach these concepts and tools. A lot of them are related back to DBT because our society really has failed to teach us these things. Um, we, you know, we learn in starting in elementary school, we learn about healthy meals and nutrition. You eat your greens and your vegetables and you get a little exercise. And of course that's all super important, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, starting in elementary school, middle school, there should be classes every year about mental health and mindset and what are emotions? What are thoughts? How do we regulate emotions? Mindfulness, you know? Yeah, I think that that is such a significant component to destigmatizing mental health, right? Where it's valuable for us to create uh, courses and therapy for adults and sometimes Mm -hmm. teens um, and even podcasts. But really, if we want to look at having the most effect, we need to do it preventatively. And the only way to do it preventatively is in childhood. So I love that you're bringing this up. If I may, I'd like to ask a personal question. Yeah, At what age do you feel like you were aware enough that things weren't right, that you wish that you had had some sort of intervention to support you through the process in your, in your childhood? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think that kids pick up on things at a really early age. And so as far back as I can remember, you know, five, six years old, I remember tuning into what was going on with my mom. And um, of course, you know, when she left the family and the stress that came from that, thankfully I had a really loving and supportive dad that really raised me and my brother. And of course, you know, I went to counseling at times throughout my childhood, which was helpful. But, you know, parents do the best that they can with what they know. And parents aren't psychologists necessarily, you know, and our school system and our society has said we need to leave that sort of training up to families and that's you know great in theory and absolutely things need to start in the families and that's just not always going to be the case it's not always going to be there so we've got to have some sort of a safety net kind of you know backup plan within our school systems that is educating people about this stuff it's how to be a human you know (laughs) yes 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 and, and I want it to be, I so deeply want it to be how to be a human because, again, our society is so stuck on this idea that our responses and reactions and our emotions to the things that are happening around us is indication that there is something wrong with us. Totally. It totally. is 100% yeah. what is right. Right? You yeah. know, if you think about a child who is sensing that something is not right in the home mm-hmm. and they're having tantrums, yep. they're, that child, that human body is reacting yep. and responding appropriately. Just the way it's supposed to. Just the way it is supposed to. And if yep. there was more education about that, mm-hmm. there would be less harm. Right. We wouldn't be invalidating our children. We wouldn't be telling them to stuff that emotion back into a little black box. Yeah, exactly. And so then, you know, all of that invalidation that starts culminating in early childhood and adolescence, then you can see as we do reach adulthood where we continue to struggle with things like self-doubt, self-judgment, relationship issues or whatever. Substance use. Absolutely. Substance use. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we've got a lot of catching up to do, I think, you know, they're starting to build some of this stuff into schools, teaching mindfulness and that sort of thing. But I think for those of us that didn't get those classes as kids and, (laughs) you know, not everybody's going to go to school to be a psychologist, like study mental health. So we've got to find a way to really get this education out there. So that's where the first little course that I'm going to be launching this month is about how to tame your anxiety, you know, in teaching about the nervous system, teaching a bunch of different tools to befriend your nervous system. I like to put it that way, because like you were saying, it's about really tending to ourselves, not fighting with ourselves. Yeah. And then embracing it, Mm -hmm. you know? I think once I personally too was able to really humanize my responses and reactions to the things that were happening around me, that negative cognition inside of me started to go away. Mm-hmm. And and that was just another layer of freedom so that I wasn't yeah. beating myself up. I wasn't catastrophizing. I wasn't, you know, judging myself. It was like, oh, yeah. okay, I am reacting or responding appropriately to this perceived threat. Yes, exactly. Um, and what can I do about that? And yeah. unfortunately, because we're trained, we've been gifted a lot of resources that so many Big people time. don't have. And, and I'm just right. so grateful for you to see that this is a gift for us to, to share. Yeah, I often think about, you know, who would I be had I not gone into psychology and become a therapist. Um, And I think about my mom a lot too, you know, who would she have been had certain environmental things been different? Had she had earlier intervention or education in some of these things? I know that I would have struggled a lot more in life had I not learned this stuff. And so it really has saved my life in many ways to be able to know these tools. And I'm excited and blessed really to be able to share them with other people. That's awesome. See, I knew I wanted to reach out to you for a good reason. Like I trust (laughs) my gut and my intuition all of the time. So I'm thinking about your history, right? There was a lot of disruption. Did you find stability outside of just your, your dad's support? Were there other resources in your life that helped you navigate those traumas? Definitely. Um, you know, I had an aunt that I was very close to who was very supportive growing up. I mentioned I, you know, went to therapy at times. There were certainly teachers and mentors throughout my life that were guiding and supportive. So, you know, we definitely have to reach outside of our core family for supports when we need it. And that's, that's not saying necessarily that they do anything wrong or they're bad or they're not enough, but it, it does take a village and, you know, it takes a support network for all of us. We're a tribe. I know for me, when I listen to people in recovery, right, people in recovery, I think have had a clearer understanding, a a real deep grasp of the value of community that Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way we lost, right? This idea that we have to be individual little beings and within the recovery community, they have found and they have highlighted, listen, you cannot do this alone. Yes. And not because of anything wrong with you, but because you're Mm -hmm. human and we are, I like your, your like tribal people, right? Like yeah. we, we, we need that. That is part exactly. of what our fabric is made up of. And I think the mm-hmm. more we reach out and find supportive communities, yeah. the easier it is for this to happen for us yeah. to heal. I think for 2020, you know, even though there is such a degree of isolation for so many of us, 
the access to social media and the access with technology really helped Um, us highlight the value of that community. I know for me, mm -hmm. there were moments where if I was, you know, got stuck scrolling through Instagram, the people that I chose to follow were like-minded people and they were uplifting. There was this sense of community. Totally. That even if it's not the same as what I would ideally like to have in real life, where I'm surrounded by friends and family who love and take care of me physically and mentally Mm -hmm. and emotionally. But just being able to have that connection and be like, okay, there are other people in this world who feel and think the same way I do. I'm not alone. And I can reach out to them. I have access to them if I need to. I want to say it's kind of serendipitous or like kismet how that all kind of came together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm a firm believer. So dialectics is DBT. It's the study of polar opposite things and two opposite truths can be true at the same time. And so right. in this crisis, in this disaster, there is, like you said, also this silver lining of connection that's happening and growth, rapid growth, I think, and awareness that's happening. I haven't heard mental health talked about more in my life, I think, in various yes. settings, you know? Yes. Yes, it's a crisis, and yes, there's a lot of tragedy and trauma that has happened in this last year. And as a species, we are so incredibly resilient, and we have a way of coming together, and we have to support each other, and in that way, we adapt and evolve and survive. Exactly. It gives me a lot of hope. Me too. Yeah. Definitely. So there was another thing as I was reading about you on your website, which could potentially sound stalkerish, but really, I were you lurking? <laughs> I was lurking <laughs> late at night last night. I was like, I want to know more about Katie, um, and and how you were describing yourself and your connection with nature. I like was beaming from ear to ear because I, from a very young age, just felt so much peace being in nature and mm-hmm. felt so much love and affection for creatures of all sizes, yeah. shapes, and and yep. um, species. And and I was curious about that for you. If you can share more about your connection with nature and how that kind of intersects with your health. Totally. So growing up, I moved around a lot. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and so pastors tend to move around a lot. And we lived in a lot of rural locations. For a while, we lived on a, a large cattle ranch. And so I spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid, which was amazing. We lived in Moab, Utah for a while. And so, you know, just growing up in nature as a kid and wondering at all the little animals and the plants and you know, you look at the larger ecosystems and the way everything is interconnected in nature, Mm -hmm. everything is cycles in nature, and we are a part of nature, we are not separate from it, you know, I think that that really relates back to us as humans also remembering the interconnectivity, right? Yeah. You know, when I'm in nature, there's something about being at the beach or in a forest or in a desert, wherever it is, where just my blood pressure immediately goes down and you just feel more at peace and more at ease. There's been some interesting studies that I've read also. Have you ever heard of grounding? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like literal grounding. Yes, where you go out barefoot. Barefoot on the earth. 
And, you know, we have lightning rods that ground lightning. It like brings you the uh, positive ions. I might be wrong with positive or negative, but, you know, down into the ground. And our body builds up a lot of that energy as well. And we've been wearing rubber shoes <laughs> for the last, I don't know, 100 years or something, which stop us from being able to discharge that energy into the earth. Yeah. And so there's been some studies on the actual benefit of really standing barefoot in nature. There's also forest bathing. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't, but uh, I'm not surprised. But can you give a little yeah. bit more of an explanation as to what forest bathing to- is? I, like, I love <laughs> totally. these new terminologies. So it's actually a practice that comes from Japan and it's a mindfulness practice. So a lot of mindfulness about is about coming into your five senses and really being present. Um, and so you can imagine if you're walking through a forest slowly, it's about silently using your five senses to explore your environment, you know, the smells of the forest, the sounds that you hear, the feeling of the bark on the trees or a leaf and just really taking in with all of your senses, the forest that's around you. And again, they found medical benefits to this, including, you know, reduced blood pressure, reduced hypertension, immune system responses improved. So I think it's pretty magical that just being in nature in a mindful way is really healthy for us. Yeah. That's so great. So I've, I guess I've been doing forest bathing for a while because every time I go for a hike or go for a walk, even as young as like maybe 10 or 11 when I was allowed to like just go in in the woods behind our house, um, that's exactly what I would do. And it would, it would create such a sense of peace Mm -hmm. and and connectedness. And it makes so much sense both on a, a spiritual level for, I, I think yeah. for a lot of people who have that access to spirit and then also just biologically, you yeah. know, um, I, a friend of mine who, who passed over, um, in September, he would often say, we are just stardust. Yeah. We, we are literal stardust. We are yeah. made up of the universe. And, mm-hmm. and, and so of course, if you really pay attention to the parallels between our human biological processes right and nature there is a tremendous amount of overlap and it only yeah. makes sense that if we emerge ourselves in that energy yeah. that we will feel yeah more um grounded yeah totally and potentially heal not just yeah. you know in terms of mental health and physical health too exactly yeah because yeah. again it's all connected right. they're, they're not separate things right And so we tend to view ourselves as separate from nature or, you know, our mental is separate from our physical, Right. but everything is so interconnected. You know, you mentioned the spiritual in nature. I mean, plants and animals are living things and even the soil is alive with microorganisms, you know, and so it's life all around us when we're in nature. And in our modern culture, I think we're just so busy and caught up you know, with our technology and the hustle of the daily grind, we get kind of disconnected from that and removed. And so I'm a firm believer reconnecting to that is a huge part of our collective healing. And so, you know, going back to this idea of collective trauma, we've got to find a way to soothe this trauma response as a society 
And there's something right outside our door (laughs) that is available to all of us that can help to soothe that and regulate us back to a more settled state. Yeah. And it's free. Free. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. Free. Free. (laughs) So go, go wander in the woods, go do a forest bathing, take your shoes off Mm -hmm. and ground. Is that something that you encourage your clients to do? Have you incorporated that into kind of like the repertoire of tools that you present to your clients? Totally. Um, So I am huge on mindfulness. Obviously, my business is the mindful therapist, uh, but mindfulness is like my favorite thing. And, you know, it is sort of that magic of just coming back into the moment with your five senses and nature is just inextricably linked to that. So I'm always talking about that with clients, um, how to build that in, you know, even if they go out into their front yard and find a flower or a leaf and to take a moment and just observe it, notice the colors, notice the shape. If there's a smell, notice the smell. And those are the moments where we're able to sort of suspend ourselves in time Mm-hmm. And we get out of the thinking mind, we get out of that ruminating thinking mind, and we get into just being right. and just sensing. And that's when the nervous system can rest. And that anxiety response can sort of take a moment to stop firing. I will say you have a way with words. I think the way that you oh. describe things is just fabulous. And, and I'm, I'm sure my listeners are appreciating that. I've heard this and I know this, but I want to highlight this. That is our most natural state mm-hmm. as a human being. That yeah. is where we are supposed to be. Yes, yeah. And society and our culture and the modern world has pulled us away from that mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. We are all yeah. just painfully sick. I'm kind of awestruck because over the past few years, but also more intensely over the past few months, I in my own journey, um, have recognized the severity of my ruminating thoughts. And I've gotten to the point where I'm like so sick of it. I am so angry and annoyed that my mind keeps racing. Yeah, And it's like, <laughs> I'm frustrated with it because that's not my natural state. Yes, you know, exactly. It, I get so much benefit as a as a therapist like if I sit yep. down with a new client and they're giving me all of this information my my mind just goes on hyperspeed yeah and I can produce so much insight for my clients and so much guidance that mm-hmm. it keeps me stuck in the loop of totally. my brain's great I want to keep thinking you know it mm-hmm. helps me propel my practice it helps me propel you know this podcast yeah but there's a cost yes because it's not in my natural state yes so, I can relate to that so much. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are nodding yes. being like, yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I totally notice a difference in myself. We all go in and out of our practices, right? There's yeah. times where we're engaging in our self-care and practicing mindfulness and we're doing it more regularly. And there's times where it just totally falls off the radar. And I can notice this distinct difference in myself when I am taking time to go sit or walk outside or meditate or come back to that natural state versus when I'm, when I'm not doing that. Yeah. When you talk about that natural state, that's how children naturally are initially. And then 
the soft, medium, and hard traumas start accumulating and it starts pulling us out of that state um, that children and animals too, and animals are naturally in that state, which is another benefit of spending time in nature around animals. And I, I always like to, you know, say we forget how to be kids. We think when we're an adult, we can't just be curious and explore mindfully. And, you know, we have this idea we have to be serious and responsible and focused. But it's like, no, as adults, we have to remember to, to access those same things that we did as a kid, staying curious and playful and present and mindful. And we can relearn how to do that as adults. It doesn't disappear. That has been, I think, the most pivotal piece of information that I gained in my education is knowing that our nervous system and our brain's neuroplasticity allows us to return to these states. Yes. There's been more research, too, that has come out about the traumatic brain, right? That there are certain structures and changes that occur in our brains as a result of trauma. Mm-hmm. And and people naturally, and I will yeah. say with, with substance abuse too, people hear that and they're like, well, that's it. You know, our brain's damaged. And right. Yes, you've created harm. Yes, there's harm to your brain, but that doesn't mean that you're stuck with that forever. Yeah. And, and I think encouraging people to recognize that we can based on again science of Mm -hmm. neuroplasticity that our brains can regenerate in a healthier way and i think you know and to your point Mm -hmm. mindfulness is that path right yes yep and with the collective trauma that's happening right now our brain is our brains are firing in this anxiety response chronically over months and so our brains are gonna shape to that which again emphasizes the need for us to start practicing some of this stuff and using these skills so that we can keep that neuroplasticity flowing in the other direction as well. And we don't move as a society more towards that kind of state. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have another question. uh, Last year, I had an experience. I was at one of my resilience events and we had Calvin Young who does sound healing. This was before COVID. So we were able to be in person and with sound healing, you know, the intention is that you lay and you just Mm -hmm. allow it to, to wash over you. And it's important to be mindful, right? So you're just paying attention to your breathing and the music. And I had done this one other time before and it worked. And then this time, because my mind was racing so much, I had a really, really hard time connecting. Mm -hmm. And I left there feeling discouraged, right? Yeah. And then I got into this kind of almost antagonistic state of like, well, fuck mindfulness, right? Like sometimes (laughs) I really need to think. And I even did a a rant on uh, my Instagram and I was like, I think it's called, you know, mindfulness is bullshit. So (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But it was, and it's not to like pull away from mindfulness completely. In that moment, I felt that I needed to think. And I'm curious. Yeah. To hear from you, being a mindful expert here, <laughs> if I were to come to you with that in that moment mm-hmm. and say, I was being pulled so significantly to think, mm-hmm. right? And to me, if I'm getting stuck on my thoughts, it's because there's yeah. a problem that I'm seeking at resolution. And if I keep working towards that, 
I will find a resolution, right? That's Mm -hmm. part of why we think is that we stumble upon a problem and then we try to think our way to the solution. Totally, totally. You know, I think the first thing that I always really want to emphasize is that there is no right or wrong way to practice mindfulness or meditation. And so we want to be careful to get, you know, to not get into this state where we think, oh, mindfulness is this like divine, perfected state that we need to achieve. Like it is not about seeking or striving that at all. There are moments where we can have that sort of sense with a lot of practice and depending on the timing. But like you said, there's going to be other times where we are just not able to settle or quiet the mind and the mind is busy and it's problem solving. And so in those moments, it's almost about just rising another level above those thoughts Mm. and just watching the mind being busy and just noticing, okay, right now the mind is busy and right now the mind is thinking. So I'm going to sit back and watch it and I'm going to describe it. My mind is racing. I've got a lot of thoughts going through my head. I'm trying to solve a problem right now. This is this moment and kind of allowing it to be what it is. Because sometimes when we're trying to achieve this state, if we're trying to force this state of relaxation, that's, that just may not work. It doesn't. Right? No. And so we can worry mindfully. We can problem solve mindfully. We can be angry mindfully. We can be anxious mindfully. It's more just about kind of observing and having awareness of what is happening in that moment and kind of letting the moment be what it is rather than trying to force it to be something different. Yeah, I love that you're really making this distinction. And again, I I see how this goes back to the dialectics, right? Whereas like you can can both be angry and be mindful of your anger at the same time. Years ago, I was working at a residential facility in uh, Bethlehem, Connecticut called Newport Academy. And there was a physician there, Dr. Medicine, and he was a, he was a mindful guru. Mm-hmm. And he used the term, your mind minding your mind. Yeah. And that just stuck, right? I and like we would that. sit yeah. there and we would listen and we were like, mind minding your mind, mind minding <laughs> your mind. And that's exactly what it is. It's like... Like inception, a dream within a dream within a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that helps people who maybe don't really understand mindfulness. Yeah. Is that there are multiple layers to it. It's not just yeah. going and, and sitting and meditating And being mindful of like your breathing, like that's valuable, it's important, but that you can also be aware and observe your thoughts and your emotions and your actions. That can be really powerful for a lot of people who who need that bridge. Totally. And going back to when the mind does get stuck on ruminating or problem solving, if it gets to the point where, you know, you're going on hours of that and you, or whatever, and you kind of become aware, okay, I really do need to give my mind a break. That's where with mindfulness, we can sort of visualize and say, all right, I'm going to put this problem in a box in my mind and then put this box up on the shelf I'm going to come back to this issue. My mind is going to come back to problem solving it. But for right now, I'm going to put it away for the rest of the evening and sort of, you know, stop that thinking process if you've been stuck in it for a long time, right? Right. And and give yourself a break from it and, and kind of reassure yourself, I'll come back to this tomorrow. It's not that I'm going to ignore this or let this go. But for now, I need to put all my attention on enjoying my meal and eating my dinner or, you know, spending some time with my pet my partner. Yeah, that's really great. I love this. 
I love this so much. So if I may, I, I'm curious about how you're doing now. I'll be transparent in that. Yeah. You know, it sounds like this past year has been tremendously difficult for you. Mm-hmm. And so how are you incorporating your knowledge and, and your experience with your own healing? So I definitely got myself a therapist after my mom passed. And I knew that I was going to need to take some time to really... Um, do some purposeful and conscious healing around her loss because it was a complex loss for me. And so I've been doing therapy over the last six months or so. It's been really helpful. The other thing that I did at the end of the year is I took a two week total detox from media, from work. I just shut off technology and let myself take some time to just be and do whatever I needed to do to heal and rest and kind of decompress from the year I knew that I needed to take like a full stop you know Um, if I didn't take a full stop it was just going to continue to to compound and the gears weren't going to grind and so you know it's it's amazing how much that can do because I I came out of that period feeling so much more refreshed I practiced some personal rituals of meditation for myself around the new year and you know consciously letting go of things from the previous year so that I can move forward towards things in the new year. Um, But, you know, being really purposeful about it. Again, like you were saying before, turning towards these things and spending some time with them in order to to move through them rather than just trying to grit your teeth and push through and push them aside, you know? Yeah. The new year, I've been feeling much more energized. I'm feeling really excited about this coming year. I know there's still a lot of problems that we're facing as a society, but um, internally, I know my own resilience and I know my own strengths. And so, you know, we can't stop stresses from happening. We can't stop traumas from occurring and what's happening in society and the bigger picture. We can't control all of that. But the one thing that we can't control is how we respond to it and how we take care of ourselves through it. So I think that's where I'm able to feel a sense of empowerment and stability Mm -hmm. and that I'm always able to control my own response and what I do to take care of myself. And then that has a ripple effect out to my loved ones and and other people as well. That is awesome. Pure empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. So what else would you like to share with our listeners? You know, I think I've dedicated my business this year to my mom and I did that formally on my Instagram account because she really is such a big part of who I am today, why I got into this field and why I feel it is so important to spread this knowledge and education to as many people as possible. You know, she's behind a lot of this. So I'm super excited to be launching my first little mini course this month on taming anxiety. And I'm just really hoping and putting the intention out there that the people who need to find it will find it and that it will be helpful to people. And then, you know, later on this year, I'm really excited to be working on a larger online course on mindfulness and teaching that over eight weeks or so. You know, online courses, they're not a replacement for therapy. And certainly working with a licensed therapist is important and unique. And 
to be able to learn about something from the comfort of your own home in your own time, just as a starting point, you know, to kind of learn about the human nervous system and what are some coping skills that you can start using. That may be a starting point for many people. So I'm hoping, you know, that they'll be found valuable. Absolutely. That's so exciting. And it's so on par for where we're at. You know, we, we really, I think both because of, of the pandemic, but also in terms of where we are in our society's understanding of mental health is like, mm-hmm. there, are, there are still a lot of people out there who are hesitant, who aren't quite ready to trust another human being with all of this totally. information. And if they can have access to some tools yep. and some basic foundational information, that yep. might give them enough either to, to be okay or give them yeah. enough to then seek out someone who can further help guide them. Totally. Um, so and that's, that's going to be a part in each of the courses I put out is like when to seek help and, you know, when to know that it's time for that. Um, that's because excellent. there is a time for that, a time and a place. Yeah. Yeah. So where can my listeners find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at the mindful therapist, um, no spaces or dots. And then I also have a website. It's www.themindful-therapist.com. People can also email me, K-A-T-Y at themindful-therapist.com. I'm always happy to connect and answer any questions. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. Any last words or pieces of advice or guidance that you'd like to share? I just want to say be well to everyone and really encourage people to start thinking of how to start befriending themselves, befriending their anxiety, befriending whatever it is that they're struggling with, kind of like to drop the fight and shift the mindset towards tending to yourself and tending to these things. I love that. Drop the fight and be friendly. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. This was a complete pleasure. And I think you are doing phenomenal work. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing. And I am incredibly proud (laughs) to say that you, despite the level of grief that you're experiencing, that you're you're pushing through, I know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And I'm and I'm grateful that you're putting that energy into your passion. Got to transmute it, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Transmute that pain into something positive. Thank you for listening. Join me on the next episode of Unfuck Your Head as we continue to build a community where understanding human health is at the forefront of real change. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow me on Instagram at Unfuck Your Head Podcast. You can also check out upcoming podcasts, my blog, and ways to contribute to our mission by visiting our website at unfuckyourhead.org. Fuck your head